Welcome to An Amber A Day, the podcast all about functional nutrition for PCOS. I'm Amber Fisher, a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist, and I have training in functional medicine. I also have PCOS, and on this podcast, we discuss PCOS in depth, the nutrition strategies for it, as well as the realities of living with it and making this lifestyle work. For further guidance and meal plan support, you can check out the show notes for links to my PCOS courses and programs. And if this podcast helps you, please do me a favor and leave me a review. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get into today's episode. Day, the Functional Nutrition Podcast, and I'm Amber Fisher. Thanks for joining me today. I know it's been a little while since I have recorded a podcast, so thanks for being patient with me. As most of you know, I've been going through some difficult things personally lately with my health, and I'm finally at a place where they've resolved for the most part, and so I feel up to podcasting and doing some of my other things again. I've been back on social media and stuff. So just to give a quick update for those who have been waiting to hear what happened um, over the last few weeks and those of you who are new to listening to me, I am a functional nutritionist in San Antonio, Texas. Um, I specialize in fertility and autoimmune issues and I myself have battled many different uh, infertility issues throughout my adult life. I have PCOS and went through IVF to have my son and I have a history of endometrial cancer. Um, And what happened recently was that after uh, when I was postpartum about nine months, I went in for my regular checkup just to make sure that everything was going okay with my um, history of endometrial cancer and found that it didn't look good. internally so there was a biopsy done which showed that uh, things were moving in a cancerous direction again it's hard to tell from those biopsies how advanced things are because of the nature of endometrial cancer so it was recommended that I move forward with my gynecological oncologist which I did and um, his recommendation was for me to have a total hysterectomy and oophorectomy and um I'll tell you all the story about all of that in a minute here, but essentially that happened and I had to make the decision within like five days um, because he was able to get me scheduled really quickly, which was good. I wish I had had more time to make the decision in some ways just because it was a big decision to make so quickly, but uh, we are changing insurances, so it needed to happen fast. So um, anyway, I had to make this decision really quick and decided to move forward with everything and that's kind of what's been going on. So what happened between this time and, sorry, between last podcast and this podcast is that I went ahead and I did make the decision to have the full surgery. I went back and forth. Uh, I know a lot of people were asking, you know, if I was going to consider keeping my ovaries. Um, The doctors wanted to know if I wanted to potentially freeze some eggs before going through with the process. And when it came down to it, in the end, the reason that I decided to go ahead with the total oophorectomy was to reduce my risk of recurrence um, 
of both endometrial cancer and also potentially ovarian cancer. I don't have, to my knowledge, I've had genetic testing done and I don't have any genetic markers, so it does seem like the cancer for me is mostly estrogen driven, uh, which is probably in direct consequence of, of PCOS. So after talking with my doctors about it and doing a lot of thinking, I just decided that given everything that went we went through to have our son and how difficult it was going through IVF and how scary the IVF process and retrieval was with not knowing how uh, only having the one embryo left and he ended up being the embryo that, that made it. Um, I just, I decided that, uh, we decided as a family that it, we preferred to put it behind us um, rather than uh, go have the go through the whole process of having an egg retrieval again and potentially stimulating my body with a lot of extra hormones that I don't really need. And then on top of that, you know, we would have to use a surrogate, which I have nothing against, but is an extremely expensive process. Um, and on top of that, just not knowing if it would work. Um, in the end and always having that in the back of my mind that you know that's the next thing we decided that with all that money that we would have spent on that other stuff that we would rather invest that in our family and our son and his future and um, in you know the things that we can do together as a family so I'm not ruling out that there might be you know adoption down the road or something like that I'm definitely not ruling that out but as of right now we just want to be happy and grateful for what we have, which is that we're really lucky to have our son and um, we want to embrace that and, and everything. So I decided to go forward with the full procedure. Um, and the reason that it's taken me so long to get back to podcasting is because there was actually a complication during the procedure and I had some internal bleeding. Um, it actually was a pretty major deal. Um, the procedure was robotic and was supposed to be outpatient. And, um, as I got back to my, um, I was going to say hotel room. It was not a hotel room. Um, <laughs> as I got back to my hospital room and they tried to kind of get me up and moving and everything like I should have been able to do, I wasn't able to do it. I was extremely fainty, weak, um, you know, the thing, my, I was tachycardic, something wasn't right. And uh, so they kind of continued to watch me and then we started doing CT scans to try to figure out what was going on. They were a little worried about a pulmonary embolism, so that was scary. And then um, that was ruled out, but then I another CT scan showed that there was, in fact, internal bleeding. Uh, according to my doctor and all my nurses, it's an extremely rare complication of this type of surgery. It doesn't happen very often. Although I'm sure there's some of you out there who have experienced it. And if you have, um, I'd love to hear your experiences with it if you want to email the podcast because I'm anxious to hear from other people who have kind of gone through something similar. But I was stuck in the hospital there and they decided uh, after doing a couple of blood transfusions and it just not really doing what it needed to do that I needed to go back and have surgery again. So all this time, mind you, it's, you know, of course it's COVID time and I am in this hospital, can't have visitors. Um, I'm away from my son who's only nine and a half months old. So um, very difficult to be away from him. I'm away from my husband who's my 
you know, main support system and I'm hopped up on pain pills and groggy and out of it and recovering from anesthesia and all this stuff and I was just terribly, terribly alone. I have to say that I was so grateful for the nurses that I had because they took very good care of me and were very kind to me, but it was extremely scary and traumatizing experience nonetheless. I had to be COVID tested a few times before they would let me back into the surgical wing. And on top of everything else that I'd gone through, all the pain, I had IVs that blew out and um, just all kinds of things that just were painful were happening to me. Like every hour, you know, something new that was painful was happening. And so on top of that, to have to be COVID tested, you know, the nasal swab is very painful. If you haven't ever been COVID tested before, I hope you don't have to be at any point because um, it is, it hurts. But, um, you know, just that on top of everything, that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, it just sent me into just sobbing. I was just distraught. Um, the thing that got me through was just uh, my husband had took down to the front desk of the hospital a picture of my son, and I had a little picture of him next to my bed. I couldn't see my phone because my blood count was so low. My vision was super blurry, so I couldn't really use my phone. And so I could just kind of look at that picture, and um, it made me feel better. So I get a little emotional talking about it because I haven't fully processed it yet. And I'm sorry that this has already gone on 10 minutes that I'm talking about this, but, um, went for the second surgery and it went well. They found the place where I was bleeding and they were able to cauterize it better and, uh, had another blood transfusion when I got back to my room. And, um, by the next day, I think, Maybe the day after, I was ready to go home. So I went home late at night. And um, I've been recovering ever since. But just because of the nature of what I went through, my recovery has taken a lot longer. Um, my entire abdomen was like completely um, black with bruises. Um, and I had the, the incisions had to be reopened on one side. So those are taking a little bit longer to kind of heal up and everything. And I'm sore, you know, where all that happened. So I can tell that if I had just had the one procedure, which, so on my left side, like it's pretty much feels healed up. The right side is where it's like lagging and that's where the bleeding was. So it's just taking a little bit longer than expected. I've been tired. Um, for those of you who have wondered what it's like to go through a surgical menopause at um, at 32 years old, I can tell you, um, I actually didn't experience too many bad side effects, just tiredness and some hot flashes. And I have been able to get on um, estrogen therapy since um, I got the pathology report and came back and it was not um, yet cancer. So... Because of that, I'm eligible to do some very low-dose estrogen therapy, which will kind of keep me from having some of the major side effects. And um, yeah, so I can get back to living my life, which is uh, all I really want to do. I, um, I hesitate to talk too much about my own personal struggles. I have in the past, at least, um, hesitated to talk too much about my own struggles because I don't want to come across as this constant victim because I, I struggle with that feeling myself. Um, 
I often feel like, you know, the toast like lands butter side down in my life, especially the last probably seven years or so. But I do really believe that the challenges that I've been through are preparing me for something greater. And after a while of going through this stuff, um, I've stopped identifying with that victim mentality. And now I just sort of want to move forward and I want to live my life and I want to enjoy things. Um, So I don't get any, it's not, I don't get any joy out of, um, you know, telling everybody my sob story, I guess, if that makes sense. But what I have been told from other people is that they appreciate me being honest about my struggles. And I think it's important for us as practitioners to be really honest because most practitioners get into this kind of work because of a health condition that they have. That's not true for everyone. Some people it's because of something that happened to a loved one, but usually there's some kind of big reason why people are drawn to these kinds of like healing work, this um, nutritive work, this work with food and people and um, even counseling and therapy and stuff like that. So um, for a lot of us, it's because of our own health issues and we want other people to have a better experience navigating those health issues than we have had. We feel often like, and I certainly feel this way, like a trailblazer of this type of um, problem of endometrial cancer at a very young age. I'm part of a support group of other young women that this has happened to, and this is something that is becoming more common as hormonal imbalances increase and we live in an estrogen-driven society with lots of estrogen-dominant women. As PCOS becomes more common, this type of issue is becoming more common. But the difficulty that I had in getting a good doctor and getting diagnosed and finding the right healthcare advice and the right nutrition advice for me was something that I don't want other people to have to go through. So that's one of the reasons why I'm drawn to fertility work, even though I myself battle fertility issues. So, And I've heard from my clients that they appreciate that honesty and that they appreciate hearing about what I've gone through because it helps them identify with me and... Um, they feel like I can relate to them. So I hope that's the case for you. If it's not, you've probably already stopped listening. Um, But if you are still listening, I appreciate you listening to my story. And I just want you to know that um, I'm very grateful for you and for all the uh, kind words and thoughts and prayers that were sent my way uh, during what I was going through. And I'm confident and hopeful that um, the future is bright. So Uh, one thing that I did want to talk about a little bit today outside of my own health stuff is a topic that I mentioned on my Instagram recently. I have decided to start kind of trying to organize a group, I guess, on um, social media of other women who have been through difficult fertility journeys and used IVF to conceive and who now have children. From that, so there's a lot of different people who are, who are who use IVF. Um, IVF is not just for women with infertility; it's also for uh, couples who can't have children for other reasons. Um, but the infertility community is probably the most common uh, group that uses IVF to conceive. And by the time you've reached the point where you need to use IVF, in most cases, you've gone through a lot of other things as well: fertility drugs. Uh, maybe IUIs, 
other types of fertility treatment. So by the time you get to IVF, you've fought a few battles, let's just say. And um, there is a really great support system through social media for women going through IVF. There are a lot of other women who are going through the same thing, and they're very open and honest and post about what they're going through and what it's like. And I wish I had known more about that when I was going through IVF because I had no idea that women like that existed. Uh, I wish I had posted my own story, but I was very um, hush-hush about it and didn't want to be too open because I didn't want everybody to know my my business at the time. It was so uh, scary and nerve-wracking just to be in it that I didn't want to also have to explain it and everything to a bunch of other people. So I kept it to myself. And, um, but at, you know, now that I'm like 10 months past my son's birth and I'm over a year past my, um, IVF journey, I've started to reflect back on it a lot and that experience and what I haven't yet processed through and everything. And one thing that I've noticed and that I have discussed with some other women who've been through IVF is how difficult it is to find your place after you have a child. So surprisingly, there's actually a lot more support for you before you get pregnant. Um, Once you get pregnant with IVF, it's almost like most of the people that you've been sort of like in this club with kind of want to kick you out. Now, that's not true for everybody, and I don't mean to sound harsh or like there aren't Like if you're going through infertility, you can't be happy for other people because that's absolutely not true. I went through it myself and, but I know that feeling of like, you're happy for your friends, um, who get pregnant easily or who get pregnant through IVF, but yet sad for yourself. And it can be a bit triggering to see, you know, their pregnancy announcement and go to their baby shower and all that kind of stuff. So I know that feeling well, and I know that many of us who have been through IVF and had children through that have experienced that feeling of not belonging anymore. We have this great support system of other women while we're going through it, and then when it's over, it's like, okay, you got your baby, so you're not part of the club anymore. And what's really hard about that is... Uh, for for those who you know have been through this situation, you'll you'll recognize these feelings. All of a sudden, especially after you hit like your second trimester and your IVF clinic sends you to a regular OB, all of a sudden you're just treated like every other pregnant woman. Um, you're in waiting rooms with other pregnant women. You go to an OB who treats you like other pregnant women. You go from this experience of having all this follow-up and feedback and ultrasounds and all this care from your fertility clinic, who you're paying out of pocket usually, which kind of makes sense, and then they kind of kick you out, and all of a sudden you go to this new OB, and they want to see you like every four weeks or less, and they just want to use the heartbeat monitor. They don't even want to do a real ultrasound on you when you go in, and that's such a like crazy experience because you're coming from all of this anxiety of like trying to conceive in the first place. Then you get pregnant and you feel like you get no follow-up. So as a, you know, early pregnant woman, I really felt like I didn't belong anywhere. It was a very, my pregnancy was very difficult. This is not the podcast where I'm going to talk about my whole pregnancy experience. Um, I will talk about that soon because I think I'm going to do, start a series now of talking about my like fertility treatment experiences and everything. But 
I will say that I had a subchorionic hemorrhage throughout the pregnancy, which is like internal bleeding in the womb. And um, I had a lot of like miscarriage scares throughout the pregnancy, which made it very nerve wracking. And so I flipped doctors like three times throughout my pregnancy because I could not find an OB until the very end. Pretty much I transferred to her at like 18 weeks. I couldn't find an OB who I felt like really uh, was taking my history seriously. My history of cancer, not just of IVF, but all that other stuff I had gone through. I wanted her to at least remember that I had been through some stuff and if nothing else to try to appease my anxiety. I'm a you know, smart, intellectual, professional woman in a scientific career. I wanted to be talked to like that. I didn't want to be talked to like a little kid or, you know, like I should just, you know, relax and just try to have, you know, a good time being pregnant. That's not me. And that's not going to be anyone who's been through IVF. You're not going to get us to relax. That's just not going to happen. So um, I felt too like, you know, I I didn't belong with these women who were still going through their infertility journey. I didn't want to come in there and, you know, be the person who comes back and is like, oh, you know, it worked for me. And I know sometimes you like to hear that while you're in the middle of it, but mostly you want to commiserate with other people about what you're going through. You don't want to hear, oh, this woman, you know, well, she's pregnant now and she has all the answers, right? So I tried my best to um, make it through the pregnancy pretty much on my own. I just didn't feel like I related to my other kind of friends who had had babies more easily. Um, That's not to say that they haven't gone through their own struggles in their life, but fertility was not an issue for them, and they got pregnant relatively easily and had relatively easy pregnancies. Several of my friends had natural births and, you know, were kind of big into that, and I, I was just glad to be pregnant. I wasn't even thinking about the giving birth part. Um, and let alone the actual raising the baby part. I had just been focused on getting here, you know. So um, it just didn't feel like I could relate very well. And that was kind of sad, you know. Um, Everything was twinged with sadness during my pregnancy because I knew, um, especially as the pregnancy went on and it continued to be more and more difficult, I knew that this was probably going to be my only pregnancy and um, I wasn't enjoying it. I was trying to enjoy it because I was... Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. I wanted to savor it, but at the same time, it was kind of awful. And so... Um, it just didn't feel like I had any anywhere to really go for support. I had a really good friend who um, sometimes listens to the podcast. She might be listening right now. But she had recently had a son, um, never had any fertility issues or anything, but just a great 
friend, great listener, who let me talk to her, let me talk her ear off while I was pregnant. I mean, for hours about my pregnancy and how I was feeling and everything. And she really helped me through it. But the one place where it's difficult to find anyone to relate to is when talking about that anxiety and the realistic potential for things to go wrong during an IVF pregnancy. I was really worried about having a preemie. Um, and because that's more common in women who've been through IVF, especially women who've been through frozen embryo transfers. And I was very worried about having a preemie. Um, but everybody I talked to was like, it's not going to happen. Just relax. You're overthinking it. And then it turned out that I did have a preemie. My son was born at 30 weeks. So I just kind of wish, like looking back, that there had been more people in my life who knew what I was going through and were going through the same thing or had been through the same thing. And now that I'm out of it, I want to reach back and find those women who are right on that precipice of great change. You know, they're going through that IVF cycle that is going to work or they're going through that fertility treatment that is about to happen for them. They're about to get pregnant and um, their whole life is about to change. You know, um, even as a mother now, that those feelings of being a woman with infertility, they don't go away once you have a baby. Um, the underlying hormonal issues don't go away for most people. So there's still all this trauma and all these things that kind of need to be worked through as a woman who is, um, who is a mother via IVF. And I don't think we talk about it enough. It's like if you have your baby, all of a sudden it's sort of like, okay, well, you have your baby, so just like calm down and, and move on. Um, but, you know, the human like psyche doesn't work that way. We focus on some of those things and they're part of our identity in some ways. You know, for a lot of women who struggle with infertility, your infertility becomes a part of who you are. It becomes a part of your story. It's something that you fought through. And then to win the battle, per se, and have this baby, you always refer back to that experience of how you got that baby in the first place. That's your miracle, you know? So there needs to be a better, more cohesive group of women like that, just so that we can talk with each other and that we can rely on each other and we can share experiences. There are great groups for preemie moms that I'm part of. And many of those preemie moms are IVF moms. And so, you know, there's some, some of that going on there, but it's just not cohesive enough. So I'm starting to use a hashtag whenever I post call, uh, that I'm, it's at, hashtag after IVF. Um, but you know, if you're a woman who got pregnant via IUI or via, you know, any other type of infertility struggle, you're welcome to, to post there too. But I would love to see, you know, if you're a woman who has been pregnant via IVF or other fertility treatments and um, has a baby now, you know, uh, even if you still want to have more or if you're done, whatever it may be, I'd love for you to use that hashtag so that we can share stories and follow each other and just kind of be a support system for each other. I know a lot of the women who listen to my podcast too, you know, a lot of you are going through fertility treatments or about to go through fertility treatments and that's kind of how you find me. And so for most of you, uh, you know, that does eventually work out. So just be thinking, you know, when it gets later on, when that's, you know, part of your story too, that I'd love to have you kind of be part of that community as well. 
I think my life is going to be focused a great deal on women's health and women's fertility. And so it's something that's really close to my heart. So I want to be there for you every step of the way through that process. And if that means that you conceive through fertility treatments and then, you know, you have your baby later, I still think that we need support at that point. So that's kind of where I'm at with um, all that stuff right now. I've just been thinking a lot about the support that we need through that journey because it's been, um, you know, especially having my, all of my reproductive organs removed has been, uh, has really made me reflect a lot on my fertility journey. My fertility journey now is over. Um, I don't have anything left to give. And I know that's like, <laughs> some of you are gonna be like, oh, Amber, you know, that sounds so sad and it's so depressing. I don't feel that depressed about it. Uh, I feel some sadness and some nostalgia but I also feel a lot of relief to be done with it. Because for me, my whole life up to this point has been a battle with my reproductive organs. And uh, I feel in a lot of ways like I won that battle and now it's over. So um, thanks to the help of excellent, doctors, nurses, fertility clinics, fertility drugs, science, reproductive technology, God, nutrition, all of that stuff played a role. It wasn't just me, it wasn't just them. It was all orchestrated together for my good. And I feel genuinely like I won that war. So um, I'm relieved, I'm moving forward. I'm sure that I will have a podcast in the future after I've processed the hysterectomy uh, about what it's like to have a hysterectomy at a young age. And so if you've been through that, look forward to that. And if you have insights on that too for me, um, because that's new for me, that's the cutting edge for me. So I don't consider myself an expert on this experience. So if you have insights on that that you'd like to share with me, please email the podcast and let me know. I'd love to share them on air or even possibly interview some of you who've been through these things. I'd love to talk with some of you on air. Um, So that's where I'm at. And uh, it's been about 30 minutes here and I think that I've talked your ear off enough. So I'm gonna cut it off for the day. If you do have questions for the podcast or comments, please email an amberadaypodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. I would love you guys to email me your questions about what you would like me to talk about on the air. I can talk about anything nutrition related so or fertility related. So if you have anything that you're just like dying to know, please email me and let me know. Help give me ideas, guys, because I can talk and talk and talk, but I want the content to be actually interesting to you. And um, follow me on social media if you don't already. I would appreciate that. And uh, wherever you're listening to this, if you could leave a good review or like and share, I'd appreciate that as well. Okay, thank you for listening and for watching. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. If you learned something today or you enjoyed today's episode or both, I'd love it if you would leave me an iTunes review and share this with a friend. 
If this brought up a question for you that you would like to hear me answer, there is a Google form that you can use to ask me any question you want, and I might answer it here on the podcast. I do it all the time, and I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.